This morning I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scriptures to Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter number 43. Genesis 43 this morning. For the last many weeks we have been reading about and learning of the life of Joseph as detailed in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. However, Genesis 37 began by describing these chapters not as the biography of Joseph, but as the history of Jacob. In fact, Genesis 37, verse number one says, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Genesis 37, verse one. But from that point forward, it's been all about Joseph. Or is it all about Joseph? Genesis 43 brings our attention back to Jacob. After all, the patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Joseph. So while Joseph may be the primary character in so many of these chapters, the one who receives our pity for his suffering and our praise for his triumph, this morning I suggest that Jacob may be the one who in fact suffers most in this history of, of Jacob. And you, and you say, well, how so? I would propose to you this morning that fortune does not dictate our well-being. Faith does. I've written this at the top of your notes there. Fortune does not dictate our well-being. Faith does. Joseph lived by faith in the unseen hand of God. That is why he did well. On the other hand, Jacob lived in fear because he could not see God's hand, and that is why he faltered. So this morning from Genesis 43, I prepared a message titled, Fears and Tears. Let me go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll study the scripture together. God in heaven, we know that you have chosen praise by your gracious choice. You've graciously allowed us to, to praise you and to thank you for who you are and for what you've done. And certainly, God, this morning and at this season of the year, we praise you and we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, now as we study the Holy Scripture and we read not so much about Joseph, but also about Jacob, and we recognize the, the comparison and the contrast of, of each man who, who feared, who faltered, or Lord who triumphed because of their faith in you. I pray that you'd give us instruction, insight, and understanding this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to follow as I begin reading Genesis 43, verse number one. The Bible says, now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they, that is Jacob or Israel and his extended family had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, that's Joseph, the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel or Jacob said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? 
And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and our, also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio, nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. Folks, this morning I would declare that the great patriarch Jacob or Israel as he's named now was paralyzed by his selfish fears. Number one, Jacob's selfish fears. Namely, Jacob feared that he would lose his son Benjamin and um, because, of, because of the journey back down to Egypt to buy grain. And so Jacob, first, he put off his need for grain. And if you'll follow with me there in the scripture, at the end of chapter 42, Jacob's sons wanted to take Benjamin back to Egypt to redeem Simeon from prison and return with more grain. However, Jacob forbade them in chapter 42, verse 38. The problem was that the, salmon, the famine was severe in the land and, and, and they had eaten up all of the grain that they had, chapter 43, verses one and two, and the threat was so grave that they faced starvation if they wouldn't return to Egypt for grain in chapter 43, verse eight, but Jacob's selfish fears put off the right and the necessary actions. Judah was frustrated with his father's delay. In verse number 10, if you see it there, Judah said, if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned a second time, or literally twice. But because of Jacob's selfish fears in preserving and possessing his son Benjamin, he put off the need for grain. And folks, many times we have a great need. Perhaps we're starving spiritually. And perhaps there's drought in our soul that leaves us thirsty, yet we put off asking for help. Why? Because of selfish fears. And our fears are that we might lose something important to us. Maybe our reputation, or maybe a friend, or maybe some favorite activity or habits. Some people know that they're sinners. They know they're destined for eternity apart from God, but rather than trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation today, they put it off, saying, I'll get right with God when I'm older because my interests are first just now. But beyond putting off the necessary trip to Egypt, Jacob's selfish fears also called, caused him to, to play down the degree of their need. Secondly, Jacob played down or downplayed, we would say, his need for grain. At the end of verse number two, Jacob told his sons to, to go and buy a little food. Verse number two. Why a little food? Why not a lot of food? 
The, the famine was severe in the land. It was clear that money was not a problem for Jacob and his family. Verse number 12, they took double money. But many times when we have a great need, we're desperate or in danger, but we minimize the degree of our need. We play it down, only admit that we need a little help. Once I had a young couple, young married couple, come to me asking for a little help with their finances. They were $50,000 in consumer credit card debt two years into their marriage. They needed a little help. Had another gentleman come and, and ask for a little help, a little counsel for his marriage. He was filing for divorce. A little help? We have a great need. We, we need great help. I remember once a number of years back, I think I was in my late 20s, maybe 30 years old, that after a, a good lunch at home, I wasn't feeling well. And I laid down on the couch in the living room. I was having some chest pains. And I was having a little tingling in my arm, you see. I felt that, if, that, that someone was sitting on my chest and I couldn't take a deep breath. It was hard to breathe. I knew something wasn't right, but it wasn't that bad, you see. So I drove myself to the hospital. And evidently, if you think you're having a heart attack, you shouldn't drive yourself to the, to, to the hospital. But, but when I got to the hospital and I said to the, to the ER there, I'm having a little, a little chest pain. If you ever want good service in the ER, just tell them you're having a little chest pain. And before I knew it, they had thrown me on a stretcher, they had peeled back my shirt, they had given me an EKG and an a, a ABC and an XYZ, and I, I don't know all the, the things that they did to me, um, MRI, I don't, I don't know, it cost a lot of money. And uh, <laughs> my little chest pain turned out to be acid reflux. <laughs> and I had never had that before, I've never had that since, but, but I downplayed, I, I'm having a little chest pain, I can't breathe, right? And, uh, and when in fact maybe I was in trouble, in, 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 in verses three through five here, Judah is confronting his father with the facts of the matter. We can't wait any longer, we are desperate, we need to go back to Egypt to buy some food, but we can't go unless we bring our brother Benjamin with us. But nonetheless, Jacob's selfishness continued. Verses six and seven. Why did you wrongfully deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man about our family? In other words, why have you put me, why have you put me in this impossible situation? Why did you tell the man in, in Egypt, Joseph, about our family? And I would offer you this, Jacob placed blame for his need for grain. And folks, the blame game is complete folly. If, if you wouldn't have done such and such, if, if you would have done such and such, my situation is your fault. At the end of chapter 42, it was Reuben who offered to put his sons up as collateral, assuring Father Jacob, Father Israel, that, that they would return. If they took Benjamin down to Egypt for more food, they would return to Benjamin. Now in chapter 43, verse eight, if you're looking there, it was Judah who recognized the risk to his children if they didn't go and get more grain. And, and in fact, I wanna just take a moment here and notice the pronouns that are being used in these dialogues. So look with me at the scripture. Jacob spoke of I and me, while Judah spoke of we and us and ours. So look at Jacob's language back in chapter 42, 
verse 36 and 38. Back in chapter 42, verse 36, Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more. You wanna take Benjamin, all these things are against me. It's all about Jacob. Look at verse 38, chapter 42, verse 38. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you should bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. It's all about Jacob's selfish fears, you see. Now compare and contrast that with with, um, with Judah in chapter 43, verse number eight. Chapter 43, verse number eight. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will rise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and our little ones, I will be surety for him. And if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame for forever. And you see, the selfish fears of Jacob prevented him from providing right leadership necessary for his family at the time. It was all about Jacob and his comfort and his security and his sensibilities. However, Jacob ultimately had no choice but to relent. And there's an interpretive key that we must, interpretive judgment that we must make it at this point in verse number 14. Look there, chapter 43, verse 14. Did Jacob have a genuine change of heart in verse 14? Or was Jacob simply conceding to and resigning to the collective pressure of the famine and his family? And I'll tell you what I think, verse 14. I think that even though Jacob cites the name of God, you see it there, El Shaddai, God Almighty, verse 14, I'm prone to think that Jacob was not so much praying in verse 14 as much as he was wishing in verse 14. Many times we make the same error when things aren't going well, we say, heaven help us. It's it's just a cliche. And rather than rising in faith, I sense that Jacob was resigned to fatalism because of his final statement in verse 14. You see it there, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. In essence, he's saying, whatever, what can I do about it? I'm a victim of circumstances here. One author that I read this this past week identified seven laws of leadership from the life of Jacob. And those seven laws of leadership are satirical laws of leadership, a mockery of how Jacob led his family through these circumstances. And and, and I think they make the point, I'll give them to you, they're not in your notes, but uh, how about these satirical solutions for Jacob? First, deal with today's problems tomorrow. Jacob delayed in acting decisively It wasn't until the situation reached absolute crisis proportions did he concede. How about this one? Make a molehill out of your mountain. Jacob minimized the problem and he denied the significance of their need. There was famine in the land, they were starving. How about this? Honesty is not the best policy. Jacob, remember Jacob the deceiver? He still had a little deceiver in him and he thought the less that others knew about him, the better. And for that reason, he rebuked Judah for telling the man, the Egyptian, the Joseph, um, about, about the family. And sometimes today, even we operate in the same way. What people don't know won't hurt them. And by not telling people, you can avoid problems. 
How about this? Always look out for number one. That'll serve you well, right? Jacob's leadership was repeatedly exercised in light of his own selfishness, his own well-being. How about, how about this? Whenever possible, blame others. <laughs> in verse six, Jacob blamed his sons. They caused this problem by telling the man in Egypt, Joseph, about the family, their father and their younger brother, Benjamin. How about this? Money will solve all problems. So Jacob hoped that his gifts and his double payment would satisfy the man, the Egyptian. And folks, bribes and money can solve some problems, but they can also create a lot of problems. And don't think that you can simply buy your way out of a dilemma. But then, then here's where I'm going with all this. How about this? When all else fails, trust God. And in fact, many times we live in that same way And why does it seem that Jacob calls on God Almighty in verse 14 and not in verse number one? You see. Let's read some more of the narrative, and I'll read quickly, picking up in verse number 16. Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, O sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks, and I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made their present ready for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that he would eat bread there. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall of of this event during this scene. Joseph's brothers are are desperate in their explanation about the mishap with their their repayment, and and they are in fear and trepidation there. Let's keep reading verse 26. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, your servant our father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke of to to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother, so Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Folks, it's noteworthy to me that Joseph never acknowledged the gifts He never said, oh wow, thank you so much. Look at all of these gifts. These gifts, remember the pistachio nuts and the almonds from back in verse 11. He never asked how they were grown or where they were grown or how they came to, to find such produce in the midst of a famine, but rather Joseph inquired of his father and his younger brother Benjamin and the rest of the family. And then he went into his chamber and wept. 
And folks, Joseph's love for his brother and his family is, is so obvious to us here in this text because he concealed himself to weep. It's what I call, number two, Joseph's selfless tears. His selfless tears. And I asked myself, why did Moses write of Joseph's emotion in these narratives if his emotion was not publicly known to his brothers? And I believe it's because Moses wanted us, the readers, to understand Joseph's motivations for his actions. Every test that Joseph put upon his brothers and every charade that Joseph acted out before his brothers was a gesture of love. Folks, I think there's a lesson for us here. At at times, discipline may be tough. Not only on the one who is disciplined, but on the one who is meeting out that discipline. A parent might tell their child, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And that's good because proper discipline hurts both parties. It's impossible to impose upon another as a parent to a child or a church body to one of its members, perhaps, and it makes us feel better somehow? No, it causes us to weep and to grieve. I think that's the essence of Paul's intent in Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. And so here, Joseph is grieving, he's weeping over the circumstances of his father and his brothers and Benjamin, and after regaining his composure, then Joseph emerges and he, and he called for the, the meal, and what happens here is curious. Look at verse 31, then he washed his face and came out, he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and then by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. They were were arranged by age. Then he took the servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Joseph ate by himself at a separate table with his Egyptian colleagues at another table, and verse 32 tells us why there. The, the, the Hebrews were considered low-life shepherd nomads, and for that reason, the Egyptians would not stoop to eat or share a meal with the Hebrews. It, it might be similar to the, the Jews and the Gentiles eating at separate tables in the New Testament, but then Joseph arranged his brothers by age, oldest to youngest, and there in verse 33, the, the brothers were astonished Uh, the coincidence of them being arranged by age, and finally Benjamin receives a larger portion than his brothers received, and perhaps just another subtle test from Joseph to his brothers to measure their jealousy, and knowing of his father's preference for Benjamin, Jacob's preferential treatment of Benjamin here now, would Joseph's brothers want to rid themselves of Benjamin in the same way that they rid themselves of Joseph? And they passed the test in this case. They were eating and drinking merrily. But what, what do we do with this, this Old Testament Bible story, this narrative, this account? Is this simply an amusing record for us to read? What do we take away from this scripture? I, I always ask the question, so what? And perhaps this is all about Joseph. 
Or perhaps it's all about Jacob. This morning I began by challenging our assumption that these chapters are, are about Joseph when in fact Genesis 37.1 tells us this is the history of Jacob. But then I default in this way and I would challenge us to always make the habit of looking for God in the pages of Scripture. You see, these Bible stories are, are not just the stories of the affairs of man, but the story of God working in the affairs of man. And so where is God in Genesis 43? You see, the answer to the so what question is where is God? And I would conclude with a God focus. The, the reason that a God focus is important for us right now is because in the midst of our fears, think of Jacob, in the midst of our tears, think of Joseph, we must be able to see God if we have any chance at well-being. And folks, I, I'm always mindful, I, I may fail as a pastor in many ways, but may be said that I always seek to help you see God. I may not be able to raise the money we need or organize the programs that we'd like or draw large crowds like others do, but when all is said and done, may it be said that we saw God in the pages of the scripture. And so let me show you, in the midst of our fears and tears, know that God's character appears. God's character appears, and the first citation of God's character is in verse number 14, where it tells us first, letter A, God is all-powerful. Now, earlier I suggested that, that Jacob probably had a bad attitude in verse 14. I believe Jacob was thinking selfishly. I think that his statement in verse 14 was not the prayer of faith as much as it was the resignation of a desperate man in his circumstances. But nonetheless, Jacob said some things that are true about the character of God. He used the name El Shaddai, verse 14. It's translated God Almighty in our Bibles. And I am sure that he learned of El Shaddai from his father Isaac and from his grandfather Abraham. Abraham. How do I know that? It's because in Genesis 17, verse number one, God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 17, one, and said, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. God was the all-powerful God who would grant Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age. Who was that promised son? It was Isaac, Jacob's father. So Jacob understood that God was the El Shaddai. He was all-powerful, and we find that there in verse number 14. Also in verse 14, look there again with me, verse 14, and, and may God Almighty, El Shaddai, give you mercy before the man. Let it be, God is merciful. God is merciful. You see, Jacob had right theology. He knew that God was a God of mercy, and although he had a bad attitude at this point, he knew that God's mercy was his only hope. And if God would not grant his mercy in the pending confrontation in Egypt, Jacob would lose two more sons, Simeon and Benjamin. Folks, I hope you know that it's because of God's mercy that we are not consumed. It is God's mercy that keeps us from self-destruction and eternal damnation. When Jacob's son stood before Joseph in Egypt, it was, not Jacob's kind, uh, it was not Joseph's kindness, it was not Joseph's benevolence that preserved them alive, it was the mercy of God. The character of God appears again in verse 23. Look at verse 23. 
But he said, peace be with you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, then he brought Simeon out to them. How about this, God is our provider. In this case, the provision of money in the sacks was, was given to God, the God of their father, Jacob. Now, now wait a minute here. We happen to know specifically that Joseph is the one who put the money in their sacks, not God. Joseph did that. Admittedly, Joseph was the human instrument who gifted his brother their payment back to them. However, every good and every perfect gift comes from above. Does that sound familiar? I think we heard that from the children this morning. God is our provider. That's why we're careful to say in every circumstance, God has provided my needs. Maybe you earn some money by working a job. Maybe your grandmother sent you some money in the mail. Maybe it was your own blood, sweat, and tears that, that achieved your own gain. Be careful to always acknowledge God is the giver. He is our provider. We see that verse 23. God's character appears again. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, that's Rachel, and, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. How about this, letter D, God is gracious. Joseph's pronouncement here could be interpreted as a, a generic blessing. Like we might say after someone sneezes, God bless you. Or we could also contend that Joseph was the one who was gracious or not gracious. For that reason, the brothers were, were fearful. They weren't sure how Joseph would treat Benjamin. Nobody was worried about God's treatment of Benjamin, just Joseph's treatment of Benjamin. But God is a, a gracious God. And the favor of men is not what we need. Never mind your boss or your neighbor. We need the grace of God in the circumstances of our life. How about this? Letter E, God is our healer, our healer. Now, the odds of reconciliation in this family were very high. We might say they were even impossible. But folks, God can heal any relationship. You might say, Pastor, there is no way that so-and-so and I will ever get back together again. The damage is too great. The time has been too long. She'll never change. He'll never change. It's a hopeless situation. Really? How big is your God? Yeah, well, Pastor, you don't understand how bad it is. How big is your God? And if God is the one that can heal the brokenness in our lives, then we need to look to him, not pistachio nuts and almonds and double portions of money and manipulating circumstances. But oh, dear God, could you put this back together because you are God? And this morning, folks, I would submit to you that these chapters are not about Joseph. This isn't just the history of Jacob, but this is a record of the character of God who appears in the messes of life. 
And so we can turn to him in our fears and our tears. And with faith in who God is, we won't falter like Jacob, but we'll triumph like Joseph. Let's pray. God in heaven, we confess that there is famine in the land. Lord, we are starving, we are thirsty, we are needy people. God, we confess that there is brokenness in the land. There is conflict in families and churches. Lord, there is division among people. Lord, we confess that we need your mercy, your grace, your provision, your healing, your power. Lord, I pray for the membership of Fourth Baptist Church. I pray for the, the men, the women, the families that are attending or, or listening to this recording or viewing this service that they would turn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. For I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.